I'm Kurt Seidensticker, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome back to Win the Day. This is your first time here. We sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from management expert Peter Drucker and says, the best way to predict the future is to create it. The best way to predict the future is to create it. And our guest today did a hell of a job of creating a future that has now completely transformed the health industry. Kurt Seidensticker is founder and CEO of collagen-based wellness company Vital Proteins. In addition to being a former NASA aerospace engineer, Kurt has more than two decades of experience as an entrepreneur and has successfully grown a number of digital first companies. As a passionate runner, Kurt had a huge light bulb moment when knee discomfort threatened to put him on the sidelines. Kurt vowed to find a solution, and his research led him to understand the benefits of ingestible collagen that has been linked to healthy hair, skin, nails, and joints. Since 2013, Vital Proteins has been empowering others to find wellness and recently enlisted Jennifer Aniston as its chief creative officer. Kurt's passion for health and fitness and his ambition to help others live fuller, more vibrant lives became the core of the Vital Proteins brand and ultimately the company's mission. Long story short, we're very lucky to have him here with us today. In this episode, we're going to talk with Kurt about how his aerospace engineering background taught him to solve complex problems, the most important steps that gave his company massive traction from day one, what he did to recruit personalities like Jennifer Aniston to the brand, and how he built Vital Protein into a building dollar company within six years. You're going to love this one. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. Let's win the day with Kurt Seidensticker. Great to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on the Win the Day show. Yeah, James, thanks for having me. So Glad great to have you here. I mean, you've had a, a, such an incredible journey, and there's so many lessons to to dive into. Uh, to kick things off, what was the mindset around entrepreneurship in your household growing up? You know, there, my parents were not entrepreneurs, right? My dad had spent his entire life working for the same company. He was uh, uh, University of Chicago Argonne National Labs, and he spent 50 years at the same job. He worked in nuclear reactor design and, uh, you know, and I kind of saw that routine. And I think even at an early age, at age five, I was this entrepreneur, this creative person trying to come up with ideas, business after business, hardworking, and just thinking through. I think I kind of wore my parents out by <laughs> taking apart things and ideas and trying to do this and trying to do that. And, uh, but I think that, you know, it's interesting to figure out where does it come from? I don't know. You know, my, my family was not entrepreneurial, but it just was within me from the day from the day I was born, I think. Yeah, your ability to solve problems is great. And I mean, with what's happened in COVID the last two years, the one thing that the world is not going to be short of is problems that need solving. No, correct. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I knew that all along, right? I, I, I from, from as I was growing up, my dad was an engineer. So I think that problem solving thing was probably part of my innate nature. I do remember disassembling vacuum cleaners, disassembling toasters, disassembling every single machine my parents owned. And 
and getting bored after I disassemble it and not putting it back together. <laughs> and so uh, that engineer in me about solving problems and trying to figure out how things worked were, was something I, I pretty much spent all my free time on. And after high school, you went and studied aerospace engineering at university. What yeah. was it attra- that attracted you to that field in particular? You know, I grew up uh, in the 70s and that was like the space race, you know, trying to get to the moon and, and, and develop the space shuttle program. And several things happened during that time. One was, you know, in high school, I was playing with model rockets and I'd, I'd build these like pre-made kits and then I'd build something bigger and then I'd buy something bigger. And then pretty pretty soon I ran out of uh, what you could actually buy legally. So I would go to the, I went to the university in our town and I, I did read some research on how to build rockets and how to build solid rocket motor fuel. And uh, one afternoon I decided at my house in the kitchen, I was probably, I think I was 16 years old. I decided to... Uh, try to make rocket fuel in the kitchen, in the oven. And I happened to do it right, right at 6 p.m. when my dad got home. And he, uh, that my dad exploded, the rocket fuel didn't. But, uh, but you know what my dad did at the time is my mom and dad decided like, let's take him to see a space shuttle launch. Yeah, They took me down to Florida. I saw that, um, was it was, I think it was the fifth space shuttle flight, mesmerized by it, came mm-hmm. back, talked to my physics professor, told him this is what I want to do. He got me enrolled into uh, a college class in astrophysics ahead of going to school. And so I kind of set out on this course to be, you know, an astronaut to learn how to fly the space shuttle. But I also knew underlying, I had this entrepreneurial drive and I knew if I went into this field, choosing probably one of the most challenging engineering degrees, Mm -hmm. that would give me the basis for solving problems in the future. So eventually I could get back to this entrepreneurial lifestyle. So cool. And the difference then about doing the research is physically books. Like if you're going to the library, you're opening books to to learn about this type of thing. Yeah. Very different to what people can access with their phones these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have anything, right? You had it back then we didn't have the internet, right? We had to research things and work with the librarian. And she's like, Why do you want to read about, <laughs> you know, petrochloride for for rocket fuel? It's yeah, like, people I, don't ask for these books yeah, very yeah, often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you went on to work at NASA doing some very cool things like teaching astronauts how to fly a space shuttle. Uh, what was the most interesting thing that you learned from doing all your work in aerospace engineering? You know, it was it was it was a very cool experience, right? I think uh, probably one of the most interesting time is is I was always since I was this problem solver, even NASA kind of recognized that they put me on special projects and. Uh, they're having a challenge with with uh, one of the ways that they flew the space shuttle. So they just kind of, I got turned loose in a space shuttle and, uh, you know, it took me two years for training to learn how to fly it. And then uh, my goal was to figure out new ways to fly it and teach the astronauts how to fly it. So I think that new creative thought process of what we could do differently and stuff. And I remember one night being with a chief uh, astronaut, we were in the flight simulator, like I think it was Saturday night, like at midnight. And I'm, I think I'm 26 years old. I know this stuff like the back of my hand. I'm, I'm walking him through how to fly it. I show him on how to fly it. I said, okay, you do that. And he's flying it. And, he, you know, this is the guy that's on the Apollo space program. And he's he's flying. I'm like, oh, you're you're too heavy on the stick. You're going to run out of fuel. And he looks at me and he goes, who, who are you to, like, <laughs> <laughs> tell me how to fly this thing? <laughs> you know, and then, like, uh, halfway through it, the alarms are going off. We're out of fuel. And and I go, so, Okay. See, so let's try it my way. <laughs> that was, but just having that experience to be creative in that environment and in such a rigid environment at NASA where it's so procedurally oriented that I had the opportunity to be like kind of a pioneer and create new ways to fly the space shuttle was really, really kind of 
put me on that track of being a uh, an innovator. So yeah, what a unique experience. So these flight simulators they're designed to obviously simulate all the things that can go wrong and things that go right, but that is only as good as the people who are programming these things to yeah. begin with. Is that right? Yeah. So w- so what you end up doing is that you're in a full mock-up of the space shuttle, right? You're you're climbing into the cockpit. You're you're you've got simulators outside the windows to make it look like it's real. What would happen is then the astronauts would go fly the mission and then post-mission we'd all get back together and we say, hey, the software didn't quite really work very well. It's like it didn't simulate exactly what happened and we'd work with another company and update the simulator to match it. The astronauts would come back, we'd fly it again and they, okay, that's how it happened, right? So it's this constant iterative process of getting it just a little bit right, a little bit more. Yeah, sounds like starting a business. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> like a business, yeah. Um, did your concentration in that aerospace engineering, did it give you a method to solve complex problems that you were then able to take to other areas like your work in entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think two or three things. Like NASA really, like so engineering gives you that problem-solving ability. NASA gives you the process. And I think one thing I learned at NASA was peer review right? You're doing your problem, show it to someone else. Get, I always, and I do this a lot at Vital, like I socialize. I say, go socialize what you think, right? Go show it to other people. And then also just double checking, going through and uh, like, I am a perfectionist, right? Mm -hmm. NASA even reinforces the perfectionism and stuff. And so it's just going through and just reassuring what you're doing is correct and Mm -hmm. constantly validating and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe we'll get into it a little later. I've kind of shifted that paradigm a little bit and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I have a different way of running vitals. So. <laughs> how, how do you feel about the work that Elon Musk is doing with companies like SpaceX and, and Tesla and Starlink, yeah. given you've got similar interests? Yeah, you know, that's why I left NASA, right? So NASA is a government program. Um, it was a jobs program. Uh, we had the space shuttle program, but I wanted to do bigger things. I really wanted to take that risk and explore space and get out there and do things. And I didn't see NASA at that point in time having the, 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 um, I say character or DNA Mm. to actually go do that. There was too much politics involved. There was too much stuff. So I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go follow my entrepreneurial passion. Mm. You know, maybe I'll end up being a billionaire and start my own space program. And so that's kind of what I, what I did. Yeah. There's opportunities, isn't there? Where government has, they run things way too fat, where people like Elon was able to come in and be like, you know, if we can do this at 10 cents on the dollar, massive opportunity rather than something that's uh, run by the government. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had the opportunity to do like a private tour at SpaceX with uh, Kimball Musk and it was uh, incredible to see what they've built there. Right. Really. This is was this was in my mind 30 years ago. This is how it needs to be done. Right. You need to be able to, to really, create a, a modern day space program and do things the way that the rest of the world is doing things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very inspirational. Was there a particular book that has contributed most to the mindset you have today? No, a lot of it's just been my own mm-hmm. creative thought process, right? Um, Taking things apart. You mentioned Peter Dr- <laughs> No, you know, you mentioned Peter Drucker in the beginning, you know, I, I did aerospace engineering, but I also did marketing and I also mm-hmm. did uh, MBA work and, and legal work as well. But Peter Drucker was a big influence, I think on the early days. Um, I think also, uh, you know, just learning constantly, reading and constantly following things, right? Mm. I think I've, I've basically made it up as I went along, like what was in my mind and what should be done. So. <laughs> You've had uh, failures along the way, as every great entrepreneur has had. You've had challenges with family, your own business, all of these different parts of your career. Uh, was there a single sense of purpose that carried you along that journey right up until you've created Vital Proteins? You know, the journey is, is 
the entrepreneurial journey, right? I think you, you, no matter what, you talk to my kids, you talk to anyone who knows me, I have an idea, mm-hmm. I'll pursue it, kind of, kind of create, it, create it out of nothing. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, that's not the end of it, right? It's either you keep going on that idea or you have another idea. And so there's been probably 10, 15 businesses I've started. Probably three of them have been successful. Vital, of course, massively successful. You know, one or two of them supported myself and my family. Um, but the idea is never giving up. I think that's the key, right? Never giving up, always coming up with ideas. But I think that's always my passion and not letting failure get you down and say, okay, I'm not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. So. When it came to Vital Proteins, what was the problem that you wanted to solve with that? And why did it fall on your shoulders to do it? Yeah, you know, it was here. I was actually thinking, I was just finishing up one business idea that I had sold and then um, was looking at my next business thing, uh, venture and and just really focused on running. Vital was not in the plan at that point in time. I was working on another business idea. And as I'm running, I'm like, oh gosh, Every I'd go out running, I'd do a long run, maybe 10 kilometers, and I'd come back and my joints were just killing me. Like someone was shoving a knife into them. And that was new for me, right? I had never experienced pain. I really don't ever have any injuries. And talking to my daughter at the time, she was in medical school. And I said, what's going on here? Because her and I used to always run together. And she goes, well, you're probably just getting bone on bone rubbing. And it's like, wait a minute, what? It's like, doesn't sound good. (laughs) That doesn't sound good. It's like, well, why is that? She goes, well, you probably just wore down your your cartilage and stuff. And uh, that thought process is like, okay, I wore it down. How How do I build it back up? And it's like, you can't. Like, it's like, it's gone. It's like, no, I want to build it back up. And so kind of taking on that challenge of what is not traditional knowledge, right? And say, how can we do things differently? I can always see things a little bit differently than mm-hmm. most people. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, let's let's look at a study of how we can build back joints. And um, we, we pull out this paper of glycine's essential role in collagen synthesis. And, you know, once we knew the joints are, you know, she knew I didn't, the joints are made out of collagen and how do we make collagen grow? And glycine's the key amino acid to stimulate collagen growth. And about the richest source of glycine is collagen. It's kind of like, it's simple today, but back then it was like, oh, that's great. And uh, didn't know that. And so once you looked at how much glycine you needed, you could calculate how much collagen you needed and it didn't exist, right? You needed, you needed basically 10 grams of glycine a day, which is roughly, you know, 40 grams of collagen, 60 grams of collagen a day. And at the time there was tablets in the market. You calculate, it's like, okay, I need a hundred, 120 tablets a day. And I'm like, I can't even take one pill a day. Every like, five minutes yeah, yeah, for the entire yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, then that, that was the, that was the thing. It's like, I'm going to, I was taking protein shakes at the time, like mm-hmm. whey protein. And I wanted to get into a. Uh, more of a paleo diet, get off dairy. And I didn't like the plant proteins. And I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of put these together and create a new category of a powder. I, I immediately, when I read this paper, I go, wow, that's a vital protein. Yeah. And I'm like, I have an idea. I'm going to create a whole new category. Like this all happened in 20 minutes. I'm going to create a brand new category <laughs> of protein that separates plant protein and dairy protein and create this collagen powder that's a functional protein that provides all these health and wellness benefits to it. How'd you thank your daughter for the uh, insight? Uh, she she had some stock in the company, so she, <laughs> that's not. her thinking. So she kept saying, like, throughout, she went through medical school and her residency, and she's a, 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 a assistant professor teaching uh, anesthesiology at Stanford now. And I'm like, 
she's asked a few times, can I come work with you? And it's like, nope, you can't. You have such a great career, you're not going to do it. But that uh, that's my thank you to her too. So. Yeah. So it's a good thing you gave her stock for the 20 minutes rather than paying her by the hour for right, that one idea. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the moment or that aha moment when you realized that, wow, this simple idea is actually going to be something that's going to create an entire category and completely change the face of, of health and nutrition? Uh, it was right then and there when I read that paper and, and recognized that the amount of collagen your body needed was on that, you know, 20, 40, 60 grams per day dose. I saw that as a, as, as a functional protein category that didn't exist before. So that was like, I think it was September of 2012 that I recognized that this is a whole new category that can be created that isn't, isn't really um, existing today. So, And then one of the biggest challenges, though, is educating every single one of those customers around the yeah. benefits of that and why that's important. How did you go about that uh, educational piece? Yeah, that was, that was kind of the key, right? So initially, you know, I had launched the business. I think it like, took me about a year to develop the product in the, in the company, you know, Right when I had the idea, I went and built my own factory to start creating it. But then once I launched the business, getting the word out there on a brand new category was a challenge, right? And I didn't know how to do it. I was thinking like, you know, back then, you know, Google AdWords, right? You cannot educate people on Google AdWords. It's just, you got 150, it's almost like a tweet. You got 150 characters or something like that. And uh, I was just standing in line at Whole Foods and I was seeing this magazine, uh, Paleo FX or Paleo Magazine, which was advertising this trade show, Paleo FX, uh, in April of 2014. It was like, I think this is March, two weeks, two weeks before the show. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to set up a trade show booth and I'm just going to talk to people. And I went there and it turned out to be transformative, I think. Mm-hmm. People say trade shows are dead. They're not. What's great about them is back then, you know, you would go out there and start con- conversing with people and educating people face to face. And that mm-hmm. turned out to be the pivotal point for Vital because I, I think the very first person I talked to was Melissa Hartwig with Whole30, right? Her and I talked for hours on end. I've talked to um, the wellness mama, Mark mm-hmm. Sis, and a few other people and just spending hours, four days, 12 hours a day, a little, little long for the trade show there. I talked to hundreds of people and told them my story and my idea. They then became advocates for everyone uh, out there. They had the voice at the platform. And what I realized right then and there, the company started taking off. And I said, okay, I'm going to start doing this more often. And I think that year, 2014, I did like 30 of those events. And then the next year I did 50. And then the next year 100, mm-hmm. right? So just constantly being out there. And so I was on the road all the time the first few years. And then we eventually scaled it, right? The company scaled it. I think 2019 pre-pandemic, we did 10,000 mm-hmm. events. And it was this face-to-face, authentic relationship with the consumer and, and with advocates for the brand, too. You know, I want the Win the Day community to, to really understand this. The amount of work that was required, there's so much to unpack there, the amount of work that was required there compared to someone who might have similar aspirations, but their only thing is once every week or every two weeks standing at a farmer's market. I mean, you're out there going to every single event that you could find, having conversations with as many people as you possibly could. And even though your goal at that point was to probably educate a whole new audience, you probably learn a whole bunch of different things from all those relationships yes. that you have. How did your product or brand um, change as a result of those conversations you had with people at a grassroots level early on? Yeah, you know, once you, once people knew who the brand was, they I was hearing more and more about what their issues were, right? Originally, I had gone in there thinking this was like a, a recovery product, like in the protein category. And then what I was learning from consumers then is they were telling me, everything of why they loved it uh they were telling me 
this was helping the, you know, they could have had, um, rosacea or they could have had digestive issues. And suddenly I was realizing that this product was, uh, more wellness focused than just one specific purpose. And so that kind of changed our marketing strategy to be more of a wellness platform versus just a specific product for recovery. And uh, then also just hearing, like getting feedback. Oh, people come to you and say, you know what you should do? Do this. Or like, this helps me with this. And so that constant interaction and feedback, which you cannot get from a consumer study group, right? You can get people who may or may not have heard. You don't get that in-depth knowledge. And especially for me as a CEO, being out there every single day talking to people and talking to hundreds of people or thousands of people in a week, I, I can culminate a, a set of information that I can set the organization on a direction of what needs to get done. Cause I hear the voice of the consumer. When did the distinctive packaging first come in? Uh, so the, the, the packaging we have today. Yeah. yeah. So I think what happened was in 2015, I realized two things. One is that our, our, the, I had done the graphics design work originally and it was time for a refresh because I had originally gone into this idea of, cause the first two shows I did was paleo FX and then, um, uh, ancestral health, mm. right? And those two were very about long, like long-term nostalgia. And if I, you look at the way I created the brand, some of the brand idea was I wanted a modern look to it, but I wanted also a nostalgia look to it. And I didn't know anything about consumer packaging. And, and a lot of people say that early in the days, like your stuff isn't following the standards. I like, I know this is just what's in my mind. <laughs> and, uh, so what I did is I refresh it to be more colorful, right? Cause mm. it was white with blue. And then I made it, I came up with this these platforms of color to indicate the different product positioning. And that was kind of transformative too, because no one was, you know, you look at the dietary supplement aisle, it was all white, it was all yellows, it was all greens, it was all really browns and nothing was there. And so Vital really came out with these very um, poppy colors. And I will, I will give some credit to Apple. They, they had kind of influenced me a little bit on the design aspect to come up with something very modern and then hold back that nostalgia um, that people were wanting for familiarity. Yeah, you can still retain the quality yeah. even having those vivid colors. Yeah. What about the role of being in an industry where tribalism was important? And what I mean by that is it sounds like the, a lot of the trade shows that you went at were um, would have communities that are big with people who um, are big in like CrossFit, things like yep. that, which these are industries that have very big tribalism, yep. those communities. Those people are fanatics. They'll pay for the most part, whatever it takes, if it's a product that they believe uh, aligns with their personal values and that tribe that they're part of. How important was that in that early success rather than trying to target yeah. everyone? Yeah, I didn't try to target everyone, right? Mm. I think uh, the CrossFit community was great because they are tribal, right? And this actually solved the perfect plan for them, right? Because they're trying to be paleo, they're trying to be off the of dairy. Um, and this solved their their really intense workout schedules that they had or workout routines where they're really beating up their bodies and this helps the repair, helps them get the protein that they wanted. And, you know, they became very loyal advocates for the brand as well. And, and I, I will say, you know, over time we got a little bit lost. I think, um, we, we kind of, when we realized like a lot of our consumers were women, they were taking it for beauty benefits. We kind of leaned in that direction a little too far. Um, and that we lost the CrossFit community for a period of time. And we went back in 20, 2019 and 2020 and they were like, well, I thought you guys were just a beauty brand. It's like, no, we we were here, you know, five, six years ago, right? And yeah. and I think the understanding is that you can't forget your roots and you have to kind of yeah. be true to that. And when we leaned back into that, like we had some, when we leaned into beauty, we our growth slowed. Mm. And then when we got back to our normal path for wellness and, and reattaching to that overall broad pillars of wellness, the, the growth came back too. 
We'll be back with the show shortly. If you're a business owner and have a podcast of your own, we've got a free gift just for you. It's called the Recurring Results Roadmap, and we've created it to give you a detailed blueprint to scaling your business using your podcast. So if you're overwhelmed with a never-ending to-do list, struggling to work on the business instead of in it, or simply want the formula to massive business growth, this is for you. Click the link in the show notes and download a free copy of the Recurring Results Roadmap. It will show you exactly how you can use a podcast to maximize your business revenue. All right, let's get back into the fun. There was something that you said before, almost a bit matter-of-factly. It was uh, in episode 67, our uh, mutual friend, Brett Thomas, founder of Kavu Ventures, he actually gave you a big shout-out and said that you had this incredible insight to establish a strong manufacturing base early on. That must have been a massive risk for you at the time. How risky did that decision feel to have your own manufacturing base? Because he had mentioned on the show that that was yeah. obviously a lot, put your business in a lot stronger position um, compared to all of the other competitors that would come yeah. out there who didn't have as big margins i so there's many there's many aspects to that perspective so i think yeah it was a big risk right um a a funny note is uh probably ended up in my divorce right because uh, (laughs) my wife at the time was thinking what the hell are you doing building a factory (laughs) on a, a company that isn't even proven to be successful yet i had a good moment in expo west in 2012 mm-hmm when I was looking at, at, at creating a brand, I was working on another brand and I talked to this guy at, at, at the Hilton hotel there, like as you do at trade shows and he mentioned his business and he said three things I did. He goes, I had this fabulous business, a great brand. I had, um, a contract manufacturer that, that was building it and these distributors that were distributing it. And I had retail customers that were or retail brick and mortar stores that were going to sell it for me. And he goes, I was bankrupt in like eight months. And he said, the contract manufacturers were, you know, charged, you know, 20% basis points on, or 20% on, um, you know, your overall operating expenses. The distributors wanted money and the retailers, uh, you, you have to get your brand out there. You, you're responsible for moving your product on the shelves, not, not the retailers, right? The retailers will position it for sale. And I looked at this and I said, wow, that's this. I, I heard that advice. I'm surprised I heard that advice, but I used <laughs> that as my pillar. Like when I started vital, I said, you know what? That guy, I remember that guy. I'm going to build and manufacture myself. So, and I didn't have a lot of capital either at the time, right? And I knew if I you go to a contract manufacturer, it's a big purchase order and it's a big risk. Here, if I just built this factory, well, whatever, I could produce three units, or I could produce a thousand units, or two thousand units. I could I could fluctuate um, what I needed on a daily demand based on where the where the business went. And so, I did that intentionally so that I would have marketing dollars, right? Mm-hmm. I'd have that additional 20% of operating expenses that I could now apply towards marketing and really get the word out there about the brand. And that that was like what Brett said, that was critical to our success because we had better gross margins. Mm-hmm. We had more marketing out there. Let me get the word out there. And because I was focused on the marketing ahead of time, we didn't go into retail until 2017. So we spent the first four years just wow. direct to consumer and we got so much product awareness and brand awareness and uh, fanatic consumers that when we did our, our first launch in Whole Foods, I think Whole Foods has said we're the best product they've ever launched because it just flew off the shelf because we already had built that consumer base, right? And we did direct store distribution with them. We didn't go through a distributor. And so all those things together vertically integrating with everything mm. that we did was probably 
probably key to our success or profitability and for growth. From a mindset perspective, was having your own manufacturing facility something like a, a manifestation of like the burning the ship scenario? Like I'm all in on this, there's no turning back now? Or were you already 110% committed to that that journey? I was committed to Vital, but mm. from my other paths of businesses, I had I've done other businesses where I invested so much up front to make the perfect system and the perfect uh, you know, perfect technology or perfect resources for the company and they didn't work out, right? Mm. My philosophy was always vital had to earn every dollar it needed, right? I never, I, I kind of starved it, almost like starving a fire of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And I invested in that first facility, but I built the most small, I built a, a basically a 3,400 square foot facility. We probably needed five times larger than that. But then you know what? Probably 12 months later, we're out, we had outgrown it, but we had enough cash to, to go into a 15,000 square foot facility, but that wasn't big enough but it lasted for enough for 15 months. And then we went into a uh, 40,000 square foot, then 80. And now, now we're in like close to a half a million square feet. Mm. So I kind of starved the company of its resources. Um, I probably should have overinvested a little bit at that point in time, but I still was in that mentality of it's got to earn every dime it, it needs. So Yeah, it's that scarcity that actually made Apple so great because they had to succeed on the limited resources they had. And uh, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, when I interviewed her, she had said to me that money earned, you know, through a lot of sweat, you know, the sweat equity and all the hard work you put into it is money that you don't lose so far. Yeah. So it sounds like that was actually a big asset for the company at the yeah. time. yeah. I think if I did it again, I would do it the same way, right? Yeah. It has to earn every dime. I think maybe I'd overinvest in people ahead of time, ahead of the curve and underinvest on the infrastructure behind the curve. Yeah. Uh, you recently brought Jennifer Aniston on board with the company, which is an amazing yeah. win. Uh, how did you establish that partnership to begin with? And what are the things you're hoping she brings to the table? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, a longstanding partnership with Jennifer. She, um, you know, casually I had met her years ago, uh, didn't really have an interaction with her about the brand. She had actually, uh, I think in 2016, just started talking about the brand. And, and what I know now is that in 2014, like one of these trade shows I went to, um, one of these health and wellness and symposiums, I was talking to doctors and educating them. One of her doctors was there and learned about it and mm-hmm. t- told her about the product in 2014. And so she, she started taking the product then. 2016, then uh, March of 2016. This is side note real quick. I made an investment. I said, okay, time to invest in people. It was just me up until 2016 and, and my nephews and nieces who were working for the company. I'm going to hire 16 people, really focus on this strategy of getting out in the field and talking to people. And I said, well, this is better. This better work within the next 18 months or I'll, we'll be out of cash. Six weeks after bringing these 16 people on, Jennifer Aniston talks about vital proteins in, in uh, well and good article than in People Magazine. And it was like, it just, it lit the company on fire and she was doing this just authentically. And then I reached out to her. I reached out to her and her, her, her manager and I said, hey, what about doing a, a partnership here? And uh, we worked together. And, and that had kind of like, uh, she had, I think her mom had died the day I was going to present it. And so we kind of put that on the back burner. And I reapproached it in 2018 with them and talked a little bit more and then got serious about it in 2019. And that's, you know, I think in, in July of 2019, I just started, let's do this. Let's actually go ahead and create this partnership. And so just meeting with them for three or four months to really craft out what we're going to do together. So cool. You know, so much of success seems to be about being able to make your individual mission a shared mission with as many people as possible. So you're not inviting them in, you're not inviting Jennifer into your mission. You're inviting her into her mission that you've, yeah. that you've got together. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's on such a wellness journey herself and she's a great ambassador for the brand because 
I think she embodies um, wellness throughout her entire life mm-hmm. and just kind of sharing in that journey with her. And she resonates so well with, with just about every demographic mm-hmm. globally. And so it was, it was a great partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's next for the brand that you're most excited about? Uh, I think global expansion, right? So we have re- we've gotten full store distribution here in the United States here over the past uh, two years, and it's really increasing household penetration in the United States and then expanding globally. We've spent last year expanding into about 35 different countries, um, getting regulatory approval, getting products, getting manufacturing set up there. And we had a really good year last year internationally. This year is going to be phenomenal because now we have full full capabilities in these 35 countries. So I'm really excited about bringing wellness to the world there. So is the plan to manufacture all around the world? Is that right? Yeah, depending on how we do it. So right now we're manufacturing in the US for Asia. We're manufacturing in Europe for Europe. Um, and we're still, we're doing some co-manufacturing down in, in South America. So, Is there a particularly dark day that stands out for you on this, this journey that you've had? I, I know it's been, um, you know, a lot of highs and I'm sure a bunch of lows yeah. as well. Is there one particular day where... You were like, wow, I just can't believe that this is that this has happened or you really felt like the, the company might have gone under? Yeah, there was a time, I think, in uh, 2018. Um, remember, I was under-investing in infrastructure. So we didn't have an ERP system. We didn't have an inventory or financial system. Everything was done in Google Sheets, right? And I, be, I became, and some of our finance people became experts in linking sheets together and trying to keep up with what we really had. And we had our supply chain team uh, one person on there who's not with the company anymore, but there's no checks and balances. And just the predict when you're growing, we were growing probably two to 4% week over week. We were growing 250% year over year and, you know, at a 40 or $80 million a year clip rate. And so growing at that rate, you, and this is where my aerospace engineering skills were great. I could do predictive analytics. I could do uh, really good predictions on where we needed to, but as a company scaled, I, could, I no longer had any time to do all that. I used to do it every Sunday night, plan out our manufacturing schedule, plan out our purchasing. And suddenly I was I had no more bandwidth in my time as CEO. And so I had hired someone to do that probably months into that without, without proper supervision uh, on our team's part. Um, way over-ordered inventory. Uh, and we had probably, you know, probably had $30, $40 million in cash at the time. Suddenly what happened is we found ourselves with $80 million in inventory, no cash left, probably $60 million in debt, pretty much near insolvency um, on a company with huge gross margins, fast growth. And, uh, you know, we're in a position that was just dire straits within a matter of weeks of going bankrupt. And uh, we were able to put additional financing in place to kind of get through that. Hindsight is, uh, going into the pandemic, we had so much inventory that we never ran out of stock. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to really, and, and our business doubled. We, we've, we're actually, I'm trying to think, we're about four times larger today than we were at the start of the pandemic. But because we had all that inventory, right, we, we had no issues with international, you know, because we manufacture a lot down in South America and, it, and everything just worked out well. So, And there's, there's a huge long, challenges for yeah. manufacturing, hasn't there? Pretty yeah. much every industry with the pandemic. Which was beneficial that we had our own yeah. manufacturing, right? It was beneficial. That it was like just by luck that we were way, way overstocked on our inventory. Mm. And then we had our own manufacturing when the pandemic hit. Mm. And uh, I, I think, you know, I look at that time where we, where we almost ran out of cash as uh, a, a very high risk point that we, we didn't know if we could get through it without doing another raise or doing something. And uh, 
but it actually turned out for our benefit because we had so much stock and inventory going into 2020. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of the pandemic, you know, it's, it's still here two and a half years into this, this journey. What have you learned about yourself personally in this, uh, in this time? Uh, for, for me, it's, it's, it's more focused on wellness. I think everyone has looked at their wellness and their longevity and thinking how, how important that is. Um, so for me, it's really maintaining that as always top of mind, health and wellness. And I think, uh, you know, I've also realized that the company, you know, when it pre pandemic, like my, my office, we, we built a new corporate office, corporate headquarters in Chicago. My office was kind of that central hub of people coming and going and five minute meetings here and there and, and really making me making almost every single decision of the company. And so what I've realized during the pandemic is that as we've all dispersed and we're not working out of the office that we're doing these zoom calls. And so the dynamics and the culture has changed a little bit, but really empowering my leaders to be more leaders and not being dependent on my tactical decision-making and them mm-hmm. being more, um, tactically empowered and mm-hmm. tactically empowered and me being more strategic. So, yeah. So it's your time as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love that. Uh, if you were working with a solopreneur or someone who was thinking about starting their own business who wanted to become a huge success, what are the things that you would take them through at the start so they could um, start that that journey of business growth? Yeah, you know, a few things. I had over over my career, but also with Vital, I've kind of created these entrepreneurial mantras that I've taught everyone at the company. And I think you go anywhere inside of Vital and everyone can recite them and they know them by heart. But there are things I've learned how to be successful and some of them are like progress over perfection. I mentioned when I worked for NASA, it's all about perfectionism, right? But you don't make any progress. That was my challenge at NASA. I wanted to do more things. And uh, the 80-20 rule, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you can be successful and move quickly. So I always teach the company, move very quickly, mm-hmm. progress over perfection. And, I, and a lot of people, they, people want to do so well with their work and they want to be really good but you miss the market opportunity because you don't, you don't get a market to product. You're spending so much time analyzing. You don't get it there. So that's one of my biggest thing. And I always like talk to one a person this week and it's like, uh, progress over perfection. It's like, we, we want to wait until this perfect. It's like progress over perfection. Let's get it out there. We can always improve upon it. Cause you're going to learn things mm. that you didn't even know that you weren't even considering by getting it out to market or getting it out there and socializing it. Uh, the other one is part of that progress over perfection is fail early, fail often. Mm. Meaning failure is probably the biggest element of success. And if you're afraid of failure, you're afraid of success, right? Because you're not out there actually learning from your mistakes. You're not actually out there improving what you're building. And so the idea is don't be afraid of failure Mm. because that leads you to perfectionism and that leads you to not making progress and stuff. So. Mm. You know, a thing we talk about on this show a lot is how you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes is what separates ordinary people from extraordinary achievers. And it sounds like just that attitude to failure has been a big springboard to you as you continue to, you know, bounce between different careers and different industries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just having started other business and realizing what I did wrong in those and mm. taking that with me to do it right this time. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing is just always having a calm demeanor, right? Mm. People are like, like when you're building a company that's on fire and things are like <laughs> you're trying to create, you're, you're basically creating something from nothing. When you're starting a business, there's no infrastructure and you got to hire the right people mm. who understand that. But it's like just maintaining that calm demeanor and confidence gives people like, okay, we can do this. Like, mm. and suddenly what ended up happening, people said like, what, what brings the culture of a company? And I think it's pride because you have all this going on and like, you're trying to do this stuff and you have a, 
this, you have this little micro success or another success and another success. And it builds this confidence, but also builds this pride that you did this and you were able to do that. And the whole company then just rises up like we can do this, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll find that pervasive and vital. Mm-hmm. How often do you define and redefine what success is to you personally and, and professionally? Have you got a goal setting process or anything like that in particular, or is it more just the analytics of how you run your life with your business? Yeah, you know, I, I'm in that journey right now, so I'm trying to discover that out. Right, as as vital as you know, I had done a, um, a partial sale to Nestle, and now I'm trying to figure out what what's next in my life and really trying to set that goal. I feel like vital was that goal that that younger me had set out to accomplish, and now I've got to really reflect on what's next in my life. So. You've already put a tick next to that one. I put it. I put a tick to <laughs> a find tick. it. Yeah. So we'll figure that out, right? <laughs> so good. And uh, final question before we move into the win the day rocket round. On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard to show yourself on your worst day? Wow, that's a great question. I would say keep uh, keep moving forward, right? Because it's good for both good days and bad days, right? Because a good day is like, yeah, you feel like you're making progress on a bad day. It's like coaching you, right? (laughs) (laughs) All engine running. So good. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some quick answers. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Um, You know, there's a Winston Churchill quote, right? He gave it um, in the early days. And uh, I have it here. Can I, can I read it? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay? The um, and this is probably one of the biggest things I learned from Vital. Mm-hmm. It was uh, he, he gave it like before the United States entered the war. But it's like, and by the way, I love France. I spent a lot of time <laughs> in France. But it says, uh, "We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air." We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Mm. That's one of the biggest mantras I've used in my life is just never giving up. Mm. Like if you look at vital or anything I've done, it's like you set a goal and you never give up. Mm. You pursue it with tenacity, right? And that's been kind of like my mantra in my life. So Yeah, it's a great quote. Dr. Michael Gervais on the show spoke about a successful life is not sliding into home base without, you know, looking perfectly. Yeah. It's sliding into home base, having the bruises and the scratches, knowing that you have given your best and that you didn't give up. So I think that quote is, is absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Uh, probably both in moderation, <laughs> right? I, I tend to... I. I I tend to like coffee for the routine, not for, not for the stimulant, and same probably with the wine. I try to go with coffee maybe six months out of the year, so I cycle on it, and then also with wine, right? Mm. It's to me, to me, sleep is the most important. Yeah, <laughs> and when you're in Australia or New Zealand, you'll get very good coffee there. Trust me on that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18 year old self? Uh, you know, if I look back at 18 year old me, this is what he had dreamed of. So I would just say. Uh, stay the course, mm. right? I, I, I knew what I wanted to do back then. And I think I've, I've followed that path and just giving him a little bit more confidence to say, stay the course. Mm. Oh, I love that. Uh, number four, what book do you give the most? Probably three. I mean, if you think about it, like I like to, I like to really raise people. We do this thing at Vital called Founders Day and we brought in Matt Walker um, and uh, Rich Divney and, and uh, one Matt, Matt's book is on sleep and uh, Rich is on attributes. And I also, is Rich the Navy SEAL? Yeah, the Navy yeah. SEAL, yeah. yeah. And then also, uh, I'm going to pitch two more here. Um, 
uh, Angela Duckworth Grit. Mm-hmm. Love that book. Right book. And uh, uh, Brene Brown, uh, probably all, Rising Strong. Is, I, I like that book a lot. So Yeah, Brene Brown's fantastic. Uh, number five, was there a vulnerability? Yeah, speaking of uh, Brene Brown, was <laughs> yeah. there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? I think um, the, the vulnerability I had, so when I started Vital, right, um, a lot of bad things were going on in my life, right? I, I, I had um, lost my dad. He died right as I was starting Vital. My dog had died and I was going through a divorce and my kids were going off to college. So I felt uh, for the first time in my life kind of alone. And what I ended up doing is as I built the company and as I talked to influencers and people, um, I, I was open about it, right? And I said, I, you guys are my family now. And building the culture and Vital is family and building our relationships with our influencers, even back then, 2014, 2015, friends and family. And that's the culture that the company developed up. And it came from that vulnerability of me, of like being uncertain about what my future was and, and the connection and family I had. Gee, it gives me chills thinking about that. It's like um, when we resist things, that's when we feel the worst about it, particularly yeah. when it comes to mental health. Sometimes if we lean into those feelings and open up and share that with other people, it sounds yeah. like it's been a huge thing for you. That's, uh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? Fail early, fail often. I know you mentioned before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the biggest education, mm. right? People, people look at, like younger entrepreneurs, they look at business as a path of success, mm. Right. I, and I tell everything. Business is is the is avoid. Uh, let me say this right. So business is solving problems. Problems are things that are not working right. Things that are not working right are failure. Right. Mm-hmm. Business is failure. That's what it is. And all you're doing is you're solving the problem every day. And so the biggest thing I tell people is like people get discouraged by things not working right. It's like guess what? This is business. This is the fun part. Let's make <laughs> things work right. So that's why I always say fail early, fail often. Yeah, joy in finding the yeah. problem and understanding yeah. the problem. Yeah. Uh, number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Uh, probably my dad, right? Because he was dying right as I was developing the product. And, uh, you know, some of the things he had said, I'd mentioned earlier that he had spent 50 years at, at one organization, you know, before he died, it's like, I wish I would have done what you did, mm-hmm. right? And now to have shown him this and have that conversation with him, I can always feel there's kind of, he and I were diehard Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he died, he said he'd send me a message and the Cubs started taking vital proteins in 2016. Wow. Uh, they won the world series and they came back and thanked us for us. We became, we've become like long-term partners, got a world series ring out of it. And, uh, I think that's the message he was sending me. And I think yeah. that conversation would be great. From the little boy who was taken apart vacuum cleaners yeah. and toasters. Yeah. To that. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> uh, number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? Uh, my whoop strap, mm-hmm. uh, calling out whoop and alley there, but uh, I live off of this thing. And because I think sleep is so important. That's why at Founders Day, we brought Matt Walker in. And uh, the idea is that if you don't have adequate sleep, your brain's not functioning well. You don't have the energy levels to take on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Uh, number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. I want to go to, I want to do an expedition like to Svalbard or to the to Antarctica. So that's kind of my plan this year, maybe. <laughs> Number 10, what final question, what's one thing you do to win the day? Sleep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
make sure get make sure I get the sleep to start the day fresh. You know, you know sleep is becoming more and more of a common yeah. answer on this show. So right. if you're not sleeping well, make sure you get some it, more sleep. It's, it's a function. If you don't sleep, you don't eat well. If you don't, yeah. and then if you don't sleep well, you don't work out well, and they don't think well. It's the key to everything. Yeah, right? It can be irritable, bad for relationships, yeah, yeah. bad for yep. health, bad yep. for motivation. All those things. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Vital Proteins. Check them out on all the socials and visit their website, vitalproteins.com. Their products are available everywhere and Australia coming hopefully very very soon. And you can also connect with Kurt on Instagram at justbeingkurt. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Kurt, what a fantastic time having you on the show. Thanks great, for being great here. Great being here. I enjoyed our conversation. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As you heard, our guests love to hear positive feedback no matter where they're at in their careers. So share a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway so our guests know they made a difference in your life today. If you own your own business and would like to learn how to grow it using your podcast, download a free copy of our Recurring Results Roadmap. You can find that link in the show notes. And if you're new to the Win the Day show, hit the subscribe button so you can get access to episodes like this one as soon as they are released. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.